When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another episode of Foundation by Story Archives. I am your host, Mario Busto, alongside Zachary Newton, your other host. Welcome back. Ladies and gents, we are back commentating on another week of Foundation Season 1. And this week, our focus is on Episode 5, titled Upon Awakening. And we get a very pleasant surprise that our lovely Gail Dornick has awakened from her 34-year and 223-day cryo-sleep. Or cryo-session. Finally. Right? <laughs> Only 34 years. I can years. sleep for that long. Do you think that makes her older than who I think is her daughter, Salvor? You know, that's the weird thing that I don't really get about this cryo-sleep, right? Like, how much do you really actually... I mean, it doesn't look like she ages at all. You're not awake, Gail, so no. you're not really... You're not really gaining any wisdom from being awake. So I think she's still as young as she was when she went in. Eh, I mean, it's like, it's like coming out of, it's like coming out of a deep sleep. I mean, imagine being in a coma, waking up decades later, but you haven't aged. Like, I imagine that's what it would feel like. It was just like right where you picked up off. I'm assuming that's what happens with a coma, but. Yeah. Isn't there a rumor that uh, Walt Disney tried to do something similar? Uh, There's lots of rumors about really famous and rich people who you know, have like what severed their heads and tried to put it in like a cryo chamber or just like themselves in, in general. Oh, wholesome it's, content. It's, it's wholesome. a fairly, uh, uh, I don't want to say known, but I guess common theme and, and you know, some, some sci-fi. I've seen it quite a bit. Interesting. I don't want to go into how you know that, but all right, let's get into a quick mailbag that we got. <laughs> uh, our email from Eleni here. I re- uh, in the second episode, Gail goes to the doctor on the ship that they have been on for about a year since in the first episode, they said it'll, say it'll take 875-ish days, so about two and a half years. Gail and Ray are in a secret relationship and they are about to have sex, or they are having sex, but at the doctor, they extract the embryo she is carrying because for whatever reason, it's unsafe to be pregnant while traveling and safer to do so when they land. So it goes into a sperm bank, bank of sorts. The other girl who's pregnant is not convinced she'll make it to the uh, through the journey because there are so many unknowns and chooses to keep the baby in her instead of extracting the embryo. I do think you're wrong about that, Eleni, because there's a scene where she's drinking wine and she looks at Gail across from the table and it was pretty much the confirmation that she did put her embryo in, this, in the sperm bank. Yeah, I think she changed or, her mind I don't later. think it's a sperm bank. I think it's a whatever it is. Oh, she said sperm bank of sorts, so I guess the embryo bank. Um... And she put, I realize you two also might not remember the reveal at the end where Salvor's mom says she carried her in her womb, but that she picked a controversial donor. So she's alluding to the fact that it's more than likely mm. Gail or Raish, since they are blamed for Harry's death, which would make it a controversial donor. So, okay, that, that makes sense. I think that confirms pretty much our suspicions as to who Salvor's real parents are. And it's a good primer for the episode because the entire episode really does go back and forth between Salvor and Gale for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's a good point. I mean, we, we've been saying that we think that uh, Salvor uh, is um, Raish's and, and Gal's daughter. So, I like it. Let's do it. All right. Let's get into the episode recap. We got a bit of a background on Gale at the start of this episode where... We go to, I guess the writers of the show didn't want to kind of get pinned down to a specific timeline of how far back Gail's story went from the present Mm -hmm. day. But uh, she's on planet Synax, the one that's completely covered in water and ruled by these fanatical religious people called the Seers, who believe in this god called the Sleeper. Um, Gail is joined, she joins kind of like this, the religious fanatic group called the Acolytes. I think that's the name of the the order that's there. And they're really, whatever happened in Synax before, it seems now that the order that won was the religious side and that anybody who's seeking knowledge to try to save the planet is 
in tremendous danger of being killed or apprehended for whatever it is, right? Yeah. So we open up the episode seeing uh, Synax pretty much at a point of no return where the environment is completely overrun and Gail has this dream of herself swimming. Or it, the, the child didn't even look like Gail on the water, but I, I think it's It didn't, but I, I think it's supposed to be her. Yeah. Yeah, I think so as well. And there's a tidal wave that overcomes her because like one of the things in this episode she says is that all of the, the, the foundation, well, pun unintended, is that all of the houses there need to be raised to a certain height to prevent mm-hmm. the, the high floods, or she calls, she calls them like the something floods, um, yeah. w- which um, if you can correct me later, oh, the high floods is what I wrote here. So, let's keep it moving. Seems when they're born on Synax, you're born and given these ceremonial, like religious stones in your cheeks, you know, mm-hmm. kind of claiming you for the sleeper, right? But yep. on a night where she go, where Gail goes on patrol as a new acolyte, uh, they've been hearing rumors about the forbidden library that's been pretty much labeled a heretical building for people to, to stay away from. Now, in the building, she encounters an old family friend named Professor Sorn, who is a family friend who grew up, pretty much grew up in their home, you know, and he gives us all the exposition about himself when you meet him, like immediately. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or the instructor Sorn, not Professor Sorn. And he seems to be pretty much on the search for the knowledge that could save the planet because he doesn't believe that, he thinks that if they continue trusting the sleeper, that the planet is doomed and everybody's going to die. And yeah. so, Gail's left with a choice here, really, to... <laughs> join his side, but it's really not a choice because if she joins his side here, she absolutely gets caught and he refuses to run away. So, uh, Instructor Sorn kind of takes his last stand here and it kind of is the catalyst for Gail's decision to go down the path of seeking forbidden knowledge on her planet. Yeah, 100%. You know, I really like this Dr. Sorn, Instructor Sorn. I've written his his name down a few different ways here Mm -hmm. Uh, i wish we got a little bit more of him he was kind of growing on me at the beginning i don't think i noticed any of the seer stones in his face which makes me believe you know there there may have been some sort of uh you know battle in the past right like when i guess all of these flooding started like you you really broke society down into those who wanted to, to look at science and those who just wanted to like I mean, it kind of feels like they're just lying to themselves to make themselves feel better about everything and be like, eh, it's, it's, we can't control anything. You know, it's just, it is what it is. The the sleeping God that apparently can see us will will save us one day. Yeah. You make, interesting. A good, you make a good point with not seeing the beads because Sorn does say that her parents took a different path, which kind of alludes mm-hmm. to the fact that what other whatever uprising or civil war took place probably took yeah. place in the generation of her parents, right? And then to your other point, uh, I was thinking of this through the episode, despite Gail being this brilliantly minded uh, individual, she also, you know, she is both religious and um, analytical. So, she thanks the sleeper when she wins the imperial math competition set out by Harry Seldon later on. So, she hasn't foregone her tradition. She just believes that the people are wrong about what the sleeper wants. I think that's kind of the way I take it. Uh, because there's no doubt she has the spiritual intuition about certain things mixed in with her counting primes, right? Yes. Um, and the important part of the scene with uh, Professor Instructor Sorn is he has this quote where he says, "After after destruction is the rebirth," and that sparks a realization for her later when she finds herself abandoned on that ship that must mean Harry Seldon is loaded because he's got like this incredibly he's got his own <laughs> nice ship, man. Oh, wow, holy. Right? Yep. Makes you wonder how deep his pockets like go or how much support he has in the galaxy. Right? Yeah. Okay. Well, unfortunately for Professor Sorn, I've gone back and forth between Professor Instructor and Doctor, I guess. But Mr. Uh, Sorn. Instruct- Let's call him Mr. Sorn. Mr. I, I Sorn. did see that at one point in the episode. Yeah. Well, Mr. Sorn goes uh, diving off of the deep end in a, in a ceremony that's absolutely disturbing. It looks like something out of an A24 film, you know? Uh, her dad is just giddily smiling. You know, he's giddy at this ceremony. Yeah. And they all that's are. His I mean, friend. look at this. What would you call this? The, the I don't know, pastor, sister, something. I the don't lead, know. The lead uh, seer, I, I suppose. Man, all like, I know. She's, she's just grinning from ear to ear about this. I thought she was going to like 
pick um, Gale to like force her to kill him, basically. That's it's essentially that's essentially what happens. what happens. I mean, she she does pick her to all right tie the thing around, but she kicks it in herself. Like she kicks the rocks in. Yeah, but it's Gale, Gale. who's doing the final push of in course. a sense, you know. And the of dad, course. her dad, is giddy about this thing. It's kind of weird considering that's a friend of theirs, even despite all of it, you know. That so it shows, too. Yeah, that's a good point. It shows how brainwashed these people are, and actually kind of makes you feel a little bit callous towards Gale's father at the in this episode. Until there's, the, there's until not in this episode that makes me like him that much. Like he, he seems, he disapproves of like everything that she does. I mean, they, both of her parents do to some degree, but him more so. Yeah, the mom isn't as stuck in her way. She loves her. The love for her child is more than than her beliefs in a way, right? Mm-hmm. So, but the the dad does have his moment at the end when she's leaving the planet. So she actually hands Instructor Sorn Kale's book of folding which is the yep. heretical teachings, and they're going to be the weights that actually bring him down to the surface. So they are essentially cleansing themselves of knowledge in a way. This is like a Fahrenheit 451 scenario where the books are being burned. I think that's the book that, that yeah. they do that. But um, yeah, uh, what, what did you think? This is kind of like Gail's moment of truth, right? Where she's both being elevated in position here and also killing a friend for this position, which I just, I don't think she wants to be a part of this, you know, the I, entire I mean, time. Her, I can see her like wincing throughout this whole ceremony. And I mean, as he's about to go off, I don't think she wants to be a part of this. I, yeah. I really don't. I find it interesting that, you know, they just, they continue to want to destroy everything that seems like it could help them. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's just lying to yourself to make yourself feel better. Yeah. That's the way that I perceive it. Yeah, well, it doesn't work because in not feeling better, she actually makes a choice to dive under and find the book that it's got to leave an impact, right? That your friend was willing mm-hmm. to die for the knowledge in this book that sunk him to the bottom of yeah. of this ocean, right? And she dives to the bottom and picks up Kale's book of folding amongst, I'm assuming among the other books as well. And she goes in her own deep dive in, in her search for knowledge. And in doing so, comes to the same conclusion as Sorn did, which is that a catastrophe is coming and it's going to wipe out Synax and it's going to pretty much kill everybody if they don't act accordingly right now, right? And yeah. uh, in her prophetic dream at the start of this episode, I think that's what's also driving her is that she feels like she gets these visions probably. And in these visions, if she ignores them, she's going to be almost culpable in a way for the death of her family. And Earlier in the series, we find out her motivation for leaving was to still go back and to save the people of Synax. Mm-hmm. She does mention that at one point. So, at night yeah. under candlelight, she continues to work and, and decipher certain things. And we find out that the work that she's doing, uh, she's both enthusiastic about it, uh, but not just enthusiastic. She actually somehow catches wind of this competition. Uh that Harry Sheldon commissioned, the Imperial Math competition that's galaxy-wide. And she ends up being the one who, who solves it, as we know, but yeah. goes behind everyone's back to submit it, which everyone catches wind of once, once uh, I guess, the planet gets word back that Synax sent out a submission, right? Yeah, which is kind of interesting. I mean, you can't, as seers, you're not allowed to I guess communicate off planet, but we still receive all of this information. Like there's some newspaper or feed that's just giving us all of this information here. Well, who knows if there is a hypocritical order here? We're watching a another show called Silo on yeah. <laughs> Fridays, and there seems to be another level of of you know hypocrite uh, hypocrisy, right? Where some mm-hmm. info is good for certain people and some is not for others, but. It still seems since Synax is part of the Empire that they are in communication with Trantor, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we, like we mentioned already, her father is against all of this, but he's not the one who's caught wind. It's actually her mother who's onto her this entire time. You can't slip one past mom. And she pleads with Gail the entire time to stop because the series caught wind of her submission to the competition, mm-hmm. but they don't necessarily know it's Gail. And there, there's also this conflict because Gail is becoming a the most trusted young uh, acolyte 
to the head seer, which everyone is talking about, right? Because the entire thing is, is that she's choosing this math competition over the promotion she's bound to get from the the head seer, right? Yeah. Uh, Let's let's skip it forward here because I'm I'm always amazed with Gail in this episode because Synex has absolutely no technology. In fact, her father says he'd rather see her die. Uh, right there is fine. Uh, than to go to Trantor, the machine world. So they're averse to all machinery. Okay. But yeah. somehow, you know, she gets this remote control from Harry and she opens it up and it's like this holog- hologra- uh, holographic message from him. And uh, I'm just kind of impressed with her in the episode of how quickly she catches on to technology. Even on the ship, I'm wondering to, her, to myself, like she's probably dealing with this, a lot of this stuff for the first time. Yeah. Uh, other than on being on the foundation ship where she probably truly got uh, a quick education. But even still, on Trantor, she was there for like two days, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose if you've had 12,000 plus years to work on UX, UI design, you know, things would be pretty intuitive. But uh, That remote control didn't seem intuitive, it. <laughs> pal. It did not. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm messing around. The technology here always seems overly complicated. Like in yeah. almost every science fiction that I watch, technology feels so overly complicated, if, especially if it's futuristic. But she does pick it up very quickly for somebody that should be like a baby when it comes to technology. I also, speaking of just like picking things up, found it very interesting. I mean, she seems pretty young to me. I would imagine she's what, maybe early 20s here, but... Yeah, in, in, in yeah, this I was thinking like, shot here. I was on, thinking on like l- late teens, early 20s for sure. That's uh, Yeah, I was, I was going to say late teens, but I'm like, eh, early 20s. I was surprised that she was able to just like pick up a book and be able to read it. Not just be able to read it, but be able to write when she's living in a world where it seems like all written information is illegal. Yeah, but it does seem that Gail is a sort of a prodigy. In a way, so I could, I can, yeah. I can believe that she would be a quick learner in understanding the concepts. And who knows in this futuristic mm-hmm. world, how much easier they lay out. Con- I don't know, I don't know, but I, she is some sort of prodigy in the way she calculates information and <laughs> figures things out. Well, she solves the Abraxas conjecture, which, according to Harry Seldon, stood for centuries, confounding the greatest minds, and she solved it, which just shows how brilliant she is. But I gotta say, I put a side note. Harry sounds so insincere to me. He even lies about her life the way she would on she would have had on Trantor. He says, you know, you can explain the conjecture to my students. And the whole time I was just thinking in my head, prick. You prick. Yeah. You like, lie. He lies. He just brought her here for bait. Come on. He only we find out he only brings her there to pretty much kickstart the foundation situation. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of things about Harry I want to talk about because my thoughts on Harry were confirmed in in two spots, on this holographic message and on something somebody else says far later in the episode. Far later. Okay. And we'll talk about that. Were you going to mention that? (laughs) Or are you going to save it for later? You'll have to save it. We'll have to save it for later. Got it. I do love seeing Jared Harris, man. So great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not not very... Uh, You're just butthurt because of what he did to Gail. Yeah, I'm not a Harry Seldon is, you know, I'm not a, I'm not number 1 on the Harry Seldon fan club, I'll tell no, you that. No, this is probably one of the one of the shows where I would say the character that he plays is one that I don't really like. You know what it reminds um, me of and this is what? this is a Harry Potter spoiler. Okay. Cuz there is this kind of character. This is a rabbit hole also, but y'all if you haven't watched or read Harry Potter, I know it's been out for a while, but you know, tune out for about a minute. There's always like, there's like a Dumbledore character, the guy who knows everything and who everyone needs to trust in his plan because everything's going to be okay. And Harry Potter, you know, you have Dumbledore's army, you have, you know, the Order of the Phoenix and everybody's following Dumbledore's orders, his plan. But around the sixth book or the seventh book, I think it's the seventh book, um, you start to find out information about Dumbledore and that he might have a bit of a darker past than we thought. And Harry starts to question, you know, whether... Dumbledore's actually the father figure he always thought he had or whether this was someone who was using him mm-hmm. in a way. And we do find out that Dumbledore, although he cares for him, absolutely had a motive for Harry that was pretty much puppeted along for, his, for him to 
realize his fate and then decide whether to go through with his fate. So yeah. it's kind of like this, ah, not such a sacred, you know, guy anyways, but definitely better than Harry in my book, nonetheless. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they're both human, right? They've got a dark side. They've got a dark past. Yeah, but there's and some present in this. Most people. <laughs> anyways, um, Gail leaves the planet and it kind of takes us back to the pushes us forward. Once we have her backstory, it pushes us forward, and she wakes up from the cryo sleep, which seems incredibly unpleasant to wake up from this thirty-four year sleep and immediately vomit this disgusting fluid out of her mouth. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It still perplexes me that you can breathe this fluid somehow and not like suffocate and die. It's very interesting to me. Very interesting. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I kind of want to get like a cryopod. Like maybe I can sleep in a cryopod. I think everyone would have done that by now. People are trying that, Zach. That's not something that um, is not being worked on right now. That is absolutely something people are trying to do. You know? Yeah. The age of uh, longevity, the answer to every... Um, person's hope right nobody wants to die no right? i feel like that's like the rich person's like you talk you hear elon Musk talk about it <laughs> you know i think every they're trying to solve that right yeah right why, I think that, isn't why that live the now point? when you could put your life on pause isn't that the point like of like, years from now isn't that the point of neuralink the point of Neuralink is point of Neuralink. Yeah, Neuralink your... integrates you with, i don't think this is like what, what's that movie it's like uh, where you if you don't Gosh, believe in remember. a soul, if you don't believe in a soul, right? And that's kind of yeah. related to the foundation. If you don't believe in a soul, then you can upload your consciousness to whatever machine and continue going, right? I, there, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a movie with Johnny Depp that's like that, right? Like, I think you could, it's not uploading I don't believe your consciousness. That. I don't believe that, life. by the way, Me to neither. be clear. I'm Me just, neither. You know. But I, I, what, what I think you can do is upload your, not, like a decent amount of your knowledge and, you know, your memories and things like that. And I mean, you think about it like you're training an artificial intelligence system. You're you're educating it on what you know. That's the data source. But it's never going to be you. It never will. There's no way. That's my yeah. opinion. All right. Yeah. Back to the show. Gail wakes up from cryo sleep and she walks into this very uh, Prometheus looking ship. Kind of creepy almost at first. Um, yeah, I think they kind of did a shout out to Space Odyssey there with one of the shots with the lights lighting up in this long mm. cylindrical hallway. But then it lights up and it doesn't look like it anymore. <laughs> I like that the, uh, the knife, the Arisha's knife was the key. Did you notice that? Yes. And I also noticed the fact that the plan was never meant for Gale to go to this ship. That's the plan correct. That was the first thing I picked up on. Yeah. The, the, the knife magnetizes to the door when Gale's freaking out and trying to get out of this pod bay. And it says, initiating Rach Foss's arrival protocol. So the plan was always for Raish to escape to go here. The mm -hmm. the wrinkle in the plan was that Gale was not supposed to be involved in this at all. Yeah, which makes me believe yet again that everything that happened between Raish and Harry Seldon on the ship was a plan. It was not just you know Raish killing Harry out of anger. It was this is the plan. I mean, it is what it is. There we we've had we've had a curveball now, so. We'll send, uh, we'll send Gail, but that's it. 100%. Yeah. Well, she finds out she's been in CryoSleep for, as I mentioned at the start of this episode, 34 years and 223 days. And she finds out that the Foundation has succeeded, that there is a population on the planet of Terminus. But she has no access to any of the ship's um, best commands because she, authorization is required. But it does seem to be on um, a trajectory towards a certain planet, which is actually we find out is Harry's home planet, Helicon, because she's able to put, do, put two and two together. She sees a dark star and knows that there's only one planet that orbits a dark star, which is Helicon. Now, yeah. do you think she's older than Salvor at this point, similar to like Matthew McConaughey in Interstellar? Hmm. Do I think Salvor is older than her, you mean? Yeah, it's been 34 years. I kind of think so. I mean, just looking at the characters, I, I feel like that's the case. I mean, she... I 100% well, agree. I guess we... Maybe we could do the math, right? Physically, I, I'm not she's older. I'm going to do live on this podcast, but we could probably do that math. If it took two and a half years for the ship to get to Terminus, and Gail's been... Um, and that embryo would have probably been immediately Used. inserted, right? 
Yeah. So Once they that got means there, that nine months. Salvo's probably almost 30, while we think Gale is 20-ish. I would still say maybe 20s. they waited a little bit for the embryos, right? So they, they probably had a way to preserve them, right? Yeah. And then waited till they were off to a good start. So let's just say she's at the very least in her 20s, close to maybe the same looking age as Gail at this point. Who knows? Maybe yeah. the, around the same age or maybe a little bit older if I had to guess, right? Yeah. She doesn't seem that much older. No, but, I don't uh, think it's a huge age gap, but I, I do feel that Salvador is technically a little older at this point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would, I would say so. Um, it's to be assumed, I think, that Harry has set up far more than we initially thought uh, here, you know? Yes, most definitely. I mean, considering that there's a uh, spaceship, God knows where in the galaxy, that just intercepted a uh, <laughs> cryopod. Not just uh, a spaceship. Yeah, I think, not, I think he was prepared. Not just the spaceship either. It's the spaceship. It's the pod. It's the fact that later on we it's find everything. out when he was murdered, that Louis Pyrene says he was buried in a casket of his own design. Mm-hmm. Okay, so his even his casket was designed by himself. Who the hell designs their own casket? And brings it with them on a spaceship to a yeah. journey to Terminus. Yes, the, there's something up. I'm assuming that his casket went to the ship and initiated the protocol, right? You know, because when he dies yeah. on the Foundation ship, it says Harry Seldon's life, um, his vital life signs are, are down, blah, 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 initiating, mm-hmm. blah. So it seems like there's a way to tie in your like your vitals to the ship's architecture in a way. Um, yeah, and I, I think that's probably more specific to him. I was just, yeah. I mean, I don't think they've got that for everybody. I was going to say, if I go on vacation and anybody tells me that they've designed their own coffin and they're bringing it with them, probably not going to go on vacation with well, them. Well, just a bit of a red flag. I'd, I'd say a slight red flag. Yeah, yeah not, not going on that trip. Not, Sorry. not a deal breaker, but it's just a red flag, you know? Mm-hmm. We did hear, um, I guess, technically what year... It currently was, and when uh, the ship was decommissioned, so the ship was decommissioned in uh, 1211, year 12,073 EI, and the current year, at least when um, Gale wakes up, is 12,102 EI. In case you're wondering what EI stands for, it is Era Imperium. Okay, so the Era of the Imperium. Got it. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, back on Terminus, the Anacreans are setting up spectral cloaking to hide their massive weapon, which seems to be obvious at this point that they are targeting it at this Imperial ship that has been sent from the Empire as reinforcement. And um, how fast do they, ju- do they, it's that jump technology to take them from Trantor all the way to Terminus? I, I don't know. I mean, it's not moving at light speed or a little above light speed it's almost like they're like making their own black hole and like controlling it and being able to appear somewhere else in the galaxy i I do know the emperor forbade the foundation ship from having jump technology yes Uh, he does say that but and and i think i think they were probably moving at light speed right it still took five years or, or however many years to get to uh, to Terminus, though, I don't think so. I don't think so. It did not take that ship to get five years from Trantor to Terminus. Absolutely not. How long? How long did it take? No, I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about the. Uh, I'm talking about the Imperial ship. I'm not talking about the Imperial ship. I'm talking about the ship that the Foundation took. Yeah, it took no, them I, years. I think they were probably yeah, moving at like light speed, but they didn't have a jump drive, so they couldn't go faster than that. Because even if you're moving at light speed, man, I. I I mean, considering that I, I'm assuming Trantor is towards the center of the galaxy and Terminus is at the end, it'll still take you a long time to get there. Maybe. I don't, I don't know. I mean, is there anything that travels at the speed of... There's nothing that travels at the speed of light. In reality, like, no. So then how on earth could you stay conscious through traveling at the speed of light? Like, my, my thing is well, that if, there's no if, way that... If you're living in zero gravity, right? Like, if, if there is no gravity, I imagine you could get up to that speed. Now, think, at the same time, if you, went from zero, if you went from zero to, to the speed of light, I think you'd be a pancake. You'd be obliterated. You, you'd, you'd mesh through the metal. I have no idea. Yeah. That's, I'm, my, I'm, that's my theory. Um, yeah. This is out of my depth, I will say. Uh, 
yeah, long story short, the Imperial ship shows up and they want to see the terrorist face to face. So they ask them to take her to the tower. Mm-hmm. Now, all along, this is the Anacreon's plan is to get Farah to this tower so that she can take out her freaking eyeball, which EMP I, you know, eyeball. we knew was, we knew was fake. We should have known it was a bomb the way the Anacreans work. And by the way, the Anacreans, is there nobody more efficient in the entire galaxy at taking things out with one weapon? I mean, they blew up the Star Bridge with pretty, with pretty much one weapon. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I mean, I know there was two bombs, but with one weapon, they take down the ship with one missile and then they take out the, EM, the, the tower with an EMP blast, <laughs> yeah. you know? It is very efficient. I was going to comment on the fact that they blew that ship out of the sky with one shot. That's that's either a really damn good shot or a really poor, poor vessel. Yeah, I mean, I will say this. You know, I found it interesting in the in the episode that it's not just the Anacreans who are there invading the planet who mm-hmm. have been affected by um, the Empire, right? But it's mm-hmm. also the people on the ship. They lost people in the Starbridge bombing, so it's yeah. not. You know, both of them have committed um, atrocities, you know, against humanity. Yeah. And they both have pretty much equal motivation for pretty much getting rid of the other one. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Not not to get us off track, but I did want to make a comment about when Gail uh, kind of just awoke out of this cryo chamber. It, it really reminded me of a different show for, for a few minutes here when she was trying to get up to speed really quick. I'm like, wait, where am I? What's going on? What what happened? Where's the ship? Um, it reminded me a lot of a show on Netflix called Altered Carbon. Have you seen it? Uh, I've seen like half of the first episode. I, I kind of liked the first season. It trails off. It, it really does trail off. But it, it's an interesting show. Like if, if you're ever just in the mood for something really kind of out there and you're a little bored, it's it's a good one to fill up some time with. I'll check it out. It had caught my interest, but yeah. Um, back on the ship, Gail's still trying to get up to speed with everything that's occurred while she's been in cryo sleep, and she comes to realize that not only Rache has been um blamed for your Harry's murder, but she has been. Blamed as well, which explains completely why she was sent away in the pod that was designed for Raish. It also kind of explains a little bit of Harry's um, hesitancy, right? Like, and why Raish, I think, was trying to hide his relationship with Gail because, I mean, they loved each other, but I'm sure Harry did not have Gail part of this plan. She was probably designed to go with the Foundation mm-hmm. to be his replacement with the Foundation while he goes and does his own thing as the martyr of the empire, you know? The martyr Which again, of the, of the like, th- this is where psychohistory for me is just a little weird, man. Like, you can't foresee that Gale would be in this situation, but you have enough foresight to know that I need to design my own coffin pod to be shot out into space because I'm going to be on that ship and put every other piece to the puzzle in place. Yeah. I think we need like coffee mugs or hats to say anti psycho history. Like let's do that. The yeah. psycho history in that giant, like, you know, the no cigarette <laughs> label. If you're interested slash. in that, let us know. Yeah. Maybe we can make it happen. Yeah. Well, I thought it was left open ended with what happened to Race here because he gets questioned by Louis Pyrene, mm-hmm. who has a healthy head of hair here in, in this flashback. Yeah. Um and he defends Gail, says it was just him, while the foundation leaders are pretty much saying, are you sure she didn't put you up to it, you know? Yeah. Um, but the whole time, Raish is acting like somebody who knows that there's a grand plan here. Yes. And he's, act- he's really taking the, the fall for something that seems completely unfair to him in the end of the position that he's been put in right here to, yeah. to murder his foster father pretty much. Yeah. You know? 
Uh, by the way, in terms of his open-endedness, Gail's watching the entire recording of, of Raish's demise here. And uh, I don't know if it's open-ended. Raish gets ejected into space and I really find it hard to believe that he could be alive after this. Although it no, does seem he, like he he's was doing... ejected into space alive. I think he, he's totally dead. He it, se- dead. it seems like he's doing the running man in, in the hologram. Like if you see him, it looks like he's dancing almost. But <laughs> I don't know, man. Harry has a plan for everything here. Do you really think Raish is dead? I think Raish is dead. I, I don't... I mean, look, the whole psychohistory issues aside, I don't think it was ever intended for Raish to be put in this situation. True, true, right? true. Like, if, if I like kind of go with the flow here and be like, oh yeah, we didn't know that I was going to have to go on the ship, me being Harry, and then I find out like, this is all stuff that kind of progressed on the ship. I really still don't know why Harry had to die either. Like, that is something that is throwing me at the moment. Because he is a narcissist egomaniac. Okay. Now, I, I didn't say why did he want him to die. I said why did he have to die? <laughs> yeah. So, that's yeah, why I'm I, saying it. I, I did think Raish's uh, last words here, his mini speech was interesting. He says, I know it's hard. I know what I've done. It seems incomprehensible, but you, can, you can't lose faith in the plan, right? He also then turns right to the camera which, you know, I, I think he knew eventually Gail would see this. And he says, you can, you can still solve a puzzle even with a missing piece. And then, I don't know if you saw it, but it really looked like he was about to say I love you right before he, he was punched out of the, uh, the ship. Yeah. 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 yeah I think it was, so, uh, it's interesting that the foundation leaders are not allowed to know anything about this plan, right? It's yeah. a plan that can only be known by Harry and Raish, not even Gail knows the details. You know, I guess Raish didn't even feel like sh- she should know about that, right? Yeah. But uh, back to Terminus. Salvor tries to stop Louis Pyrene, the moron who will just never listen to her, from getting Farah to the tower. And uh, for some reason, Farah's cuffs are on in front of her instead of behind her. You should never cuff somebody with their hands in front of them. They yeah, pretty you know, much I've still have that full use shows. of their hands. Yeah. I noticed that in a few shows that we've been watching, and they si- keep cuffing their hands. Silo, they did that too to somebody. Exactly. I don't know why. It's. Th- I think it's stupid. Yeah, it's incredibly stupid. You, that's why you see police; they will cuff you from behind. Yeah. Right. Because otherwise, you you kind of you give them freedom and a weapon. They got a garrote. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, she blows up the tower pretty much. I, at first, I thought she blew up the tower. But it was an EMP blast. Mm-hmm. So, I guess, well, we know uh, Salvor's mom is safe for now. But uh, quickly back to Gail because the, the back and forth starts to get rapid at this point in the episode. She really contemplates taking her own life here. And, you know, you can understand she, why she would want to do it. She's devastated. She's lost the love of her life. Well, you to know. keep in mind, the other thing that she, that's probably going through her mind right now She's is, never gonna damn, it's shit. been 34 years. Synax is gone. Synax is gone. She doesn't have a way off this ship. She has yeah. no authorization on this ship. She only, she only wanted to do this to save Synax. Or, well, that was one yeah. of her main reasons for doing this and it may not exist anymore. By the way, can I say that the shower room that she tries to kill herself in is absolutely oh, awesome? I love this. Right. I, I, I would totally, uh, totally have a nice shower like this. Now, my, my uh, question I is- I was really thrown by what the heck happened with her little 360 here. <laughs> I think the cinematographer said, like, can we just do a really badass shot? This is just fun. Yeah. But I want to yeah. know, did the ship stop her from killing herself in no, the exact moment? Or was it just a very convenient timing of a ship redirection? It was, a, it was a coincidence, I think. It was, it was lucky for her. You think the sleeper I, woke but, up? I, don't, I, I think the, uh, the sleeper is so weird, man. Naming, well, naming your god a sleeper who can still see you is a little odd. Well, she still thinks, she thinks about the sleeper, right? Because she thinks about Instructor Soren in that moment where he says, all things have a cycle after destruction, the rebirth. Mm-hmm. And things start to piece together, right? She was about to kill herself and then the ship stops her, right? In a way. Yeah. Through just intuit, just this crazy divine timing. Then she mm-hmm. thinks about all of, like the coincidences of Harry's death. And I think all of that comes to mind. Or she's just really rational and realizes the ship just changed direction. Now, yeah, I, like, I kind of feel like that woke her up or something. But my question is, was, was, wasn't the ship already on its way somewhere? Or did it take a few moments for it to redirect because the race arrival protocol took place 
and it was taking her to Helicon. Probably the latter. Like, I, it probably just took a while to redirect. I don't know why. Like, maybe it was just like, yeah, air traffic control, make a left turn up here. I have no idea. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not sure, but it, it makes me feel like, I mean, obviously she goes through her whole calculations of trying to realize what planet she's heading towards. Uh, so she has to bypass and outsmart the ship pretty much in order to figure out where she's heading. Uh, but in doing so, she does realize it's Harry's home planet, which makes me think that Harry left more to do in his plan whenever she arrives to Helicon. I think it's going to be very interesting when she gets to Helicon because nobody knows that... I mean, nobody's expecting her. They would they would have been expecting, what, Raish, if anything, right? Yeah. Or maybe Harry himself, I have no idea. I'm I'm just so curious as to how she gets these almost intuitively spiritual premonitions as she's counting primes. It's like there's weird symmetry between her mathematical genius and her yes. religious background, right? Yeah, I don't quite understand it either. I mean, we get another glimpse of it here when she's trying to go outside, right? Like she, or she wants to try and figure out what is in this place that she can't see because nothing is showing up on the monitor. So she, it, she starts to count primes and it's like, oh, and there's the space suit I need. Suit. Yeah. 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 Which the spacesuit looks so un... Um... Uncomfortable? <laughs> no, it looks like so... Uh, like lame on the wall. Like I'm sure they tried to prop that thing up to look way better than it does. <laughs> Can we um, fill it up with some air? <laughs> well, moving forward here, now that the shield is down on Terminus, the Anacreans attack, and going back to Gale, she goes into space, uh, who, yeah. and pretty much realizes that they're heading towards a dark star, as we mentioned already. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Salvor is kidnapped by Farah after a, a pretty much, a fight where she actually got the upper hand on Farah. And only to end up hostage to her because her mother got caught not once, but twice. So, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I know you made a comment earlier about the Anacreon being very efficient with their weaponry. However, it was at this moment that I wrote a note that said that the Anacreon's aim is worse than the stormtroopers. Well, I got to say, if, if the, <laughs> the Anacreon should have killed everybody in this I know. Camp. You've got like, what, 50 to 75 people running at you from all corners. I mean, well, it's not even a corner. It's just, it's a circle, right? So, from everywhere. And they're just firing off at you. And you're just standing out in the open. Come on. Only one person gets shot in the back or the shoulder early on, at least. I mean, more happens a little bit later. I guess they're better at close quarters. You know, they, they finally oh, start wow. to actually hit people. But, Wow. Well, I'm assuming that the Foundation soldiers, like Salvor's dad and and the um, the woman who looks like the redhead from Stranger Things, mm -hmm. I'm assuming that they can't shoot from the inside out like we were speculating on the previous episode because they allowed these people to surround their entire city without firing a single shot. But to your point about them having bad aim, if they didn't have bad aim, Zach, everybody would be dead. Yeah, so the show would pretty much be done with. Uh, well, I mean, if if you were gonna have them, you know, have better aim, just have fewer people, right? Like, yeah. don't give me 300, 300 and ready to raid me. Also, you know, yeah, I was a little worried earlier on in the show. I I I had put in my notes actually. I was like, someone's gonna be trigger happy, man. Someone someone's gonna pull that trigger and just be a freak out. I thought it was gonna be the 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 girl that looked like she's from Stranger Things. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it didn't happen. I don't think anyone fired a weapon. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so either. Well, I know Hugo does because he goes. He goes Rambo mode after. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pretty well, much. Once things get a little closer, but yeah. Well, let's push forward here because Pharaoh wants to rub it in Salvor's face and say, "I lost everything. Now you feel what it's like to lose everything." She has her villain speech, uh, where she says what I've been saying, because you're thinking she's there because she's a believer in Selden. She's there because she says Selden's predictions inflamed the Empire. Yep. She blames Selden for the Empire having the response that they had. 
Now, granted, I mean, I don't know how long Harry was touting these these prophecies, these psychohistory prophecies, but it seems like he's the one who started this catalyst of of the even the Starbridge bombing to even now maybe the Starbridge bombing is a, is a stretch, but yeah. even now them attacking Terminus is because it's not just to get back at the Empire; it's to get back at Harry Seldon's legacy for inflaming the Empire and causing them to react in the way that they did to Anacreon and Thespis, right? Yeah. Anyways, yeah. they do knock out the Imperial ship with one missile alone. This, I mean, goodness gracious, I don't know who the, arc, I, the I engineers are. I have are. a feeling, like, if I'm going to try and defend this whole ship going down with one shot, I think this ship was more so meant to be in outer space and not fly at a low altitude, and because they're at a low altitude, maybe they had to turn their shields off or something, but... Yeah, one shot. As, uh, I don't know, Commander. You're going to leave your ship open much. to a missile attack? Um, well, rem- remember, they did camouflage uh, their heavy weaponry with some spectrum camo thing. So, they, the, they didn't by, pick up yeah. on it. They Maybe, thought every, like, it's just, just the foundation. Nobody has any guns. There's just something going on. Let's investigate. I just feel like Salvor probably should have led the conversation with, they're cloaking a giant missile launcher. Oh, yeah. How about just lead with that? They have weapons. We're surrounded. Yeah, you should lead with that. You know, if anything we've learned in podcasting, it's that you're supposed to lead in advertising at the start of the show, which we've done a terrible job this episode, which by the way, if you want to tune into our other podcast on the channel, you can tune in on Friday nights for or Friday mornings for our instant reaction to Silo on Apple TV, Sunday nights for our deep dive of the Silo episode of the week, and also tune into our new series as we go through Black Mirror Season 6. Back to the show. <laughs> Gale back on the ship. Reasonably speaking, Gale does not want to go to the planet of Helicon because it's Harry's home planet, and she is one of Harry's uh, murder accomplices, or Raish's murder accomplices, according to history, as we, as yeah. we now know. But as she's trying to speak, uh, talk the ship out of taking her to Helicon, she notices puddles of blood leading her to a holographic image of Harry looking short, like shortly after he was stabbed by Raish just on the floor, yep. which is our cliffhanger for episode five of Foundation. Well, yeah. And That's I just, interesting. I just ended the, my notes with why Helicon, Harry must have left people there with a plan. That's all I wrote. I'm very curious to find out why Helicon. I have no idea. Yeah. I, I had, uh, I had time when I first started, or I guess halfway through my watch of this episode, I had wrote down that this episode was titled incorrectly. It should have been titled Everything Goes Wrong. <laughs> yeah. <pretty laughs> there's, there's just a lot of not good things that happen in this episode, but yeah. it was interesting. I'm super happy that we have Gail back. Oh, absolutely. I mean, she's... Like, I, I, I think she's much better than Harry Seldon. No, no offense to the actor. I just prefer the character mm-hmm. much Agreed. more. Agreed. Uh, yeah, I love Gail Dornick. I, it would have been devastating if she was just dead. You know, like she doesn't come back mm-hmm. in the series. But I think we all knew she was coming back at a certain point, right? Yep, so, absolutely. All right, let's get into the categories and round out the end of this episode. Let's do it. Well, the first one is who is your favorite character? And I just gave my answer to that one. I think that one's probably pretty easy, but you might switch it up. No, I'm going to stick it with Gail here. All right. What was the best scene in the episode? There was a lot that went on. I think I, think I, I wrote two things down I liked. I think it's when she awakens, like when she actually just awakens from like we finally get the to see where mm-hmm. she's been at and and get her full like the mystery of the ship coming to life with the dagger. I thought that was really dope. Yeah, um, yeah just that whole sequence there. I, that was the first one that I wrote down. So I'll go to the second one. The second one that I wrote down was ba- basically the whole, well, not the whole flashback that we got of Gail when she was a little bit younger on Synax, but you know, specifically at the library and then her kind of going through all the books and you know discovering these. Like I, I, I liked it. It was interesting. Okay. Best line of the episode. I've got two in case you're going to steal one of mine. I've got two and we probably have the same ones. All right. I got um, Raish with the, you can still solve a puzzle even with a, a piece missing. That's a good one. I did not, I did not write that one down as a favorite line, but it did put it in my notes. I, I like it. What's your second one? 
all things have a cycle after destruction, the rebirth. Okay. Yep. Knowledge gives us ways to survive the destruction until the rebirth arrives. That was the second one I had. The first one um, that I put down was, uh, it was between two people. It was like, I'm a scientist. Well, if you don't take that, you'll be a dead scientist. Ah, okay, I like that. Yeah, like it that. was it was funny. That I was, laughed. That I was, chuckled. I gave like a huh. That was Salvor's dad or yep. foster dad. Uh, well, technically, technically, <laughs> it would be Guardian? her. I mean, how would this work in real life, right? Like, he would be her dad. He's just not biological, right? Not, Same thing with not the her mother. biological father. Just to say exactly. Like, yeah. adopted father i don't know yeah something like that all right any other categories that's all i've got unless we want to pick on psychohistory some more no that is that is it that is it no more picking on psychohistory I'm, I'm looking forward to episode six though and if you have been watching shows on apple tv you would have noticed by now the season two trailer for foundation which if you hadn't watched episode five of season one yet would have spoiled to the fact that gail is alive and well all right, Zach, let's get into the outro and make sure to plug our email address for people to send us some mail, as well as our brand spanking new newsletter subscribe box or link that you've put in the description so that they can join the Soapbox Club and stay up to date with all the great things we have planned for the Soapbox Network and the Story Archive Show. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Foundation by Story Archives. You can find this podcast anywhere you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube at Soapbox Podcast Network. We've got a few playlists there for our different shows. You can find us on our website at soapbox.house, email us at contact.soapbox.house. And as Mario mentioned, there is a link in the description below for you to sign up for our quarterly newsletter. We're looking forward to seeing you there. Awesome. Until next time, have a great week, and we will see you on Friday morning for our Silo Instant Reaction. Peace. Peace. Peace.